This week, um, I was gonna, I'm hoping to start a, a series on becoming more mature. Yeah, and I guess I can't wait for that to happen. I might as well go ahead and just start it and um, <laughs> see what happens there. <laughs> I, was, I was looking out beyond there. <laughs> well, we'll bring this up later on. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, this week I, I did get, a, you know, with our church uh, being in our denomination, being in the middle of this huge fight, it's really uh, pretty embarrassing to tell you the truth. Uh, and I honestly believe uh, in, in the, the discussion, the debate is over human sexuality. And I really believe 50 years from now, people will look back and go, they split up over that. <laughs> Much like uh, the first time the Methodist church split up. Uh, believe it or not, it was over the issue of slavery. Some churches were saying, it's fine. And other churches were saying, no, this is not fine. And it was a knockdown drag out. And some churches say, no, enslaving people is absolutely wrong. And there are many people who opened up their Bibles and said, no, even scripture supports it. But luckily, common sense prevailed. And we wonder, how could they have had that discussion? Well, here we are again, and we've had many such discussions over the years over the issue of uh, human sexuality and, and just the role and the place of uh, LGBTQ people in the church. And, and, of course, we're a reconciling church. And so one of the things I feel best about you know, in our church is we're going to welcome everyone. And you're not just a guest here, but you are your family. And we will stand together as one. And what everyone else does, you know, we can't necessarily always influence that. But we can stand together and love and support it as a family. So I want to read from uh, Jeremiah, uh, the 29th chapter, and just one verse. That's really good. It's one of these good refrigerator verses. Um, Stick it on your refrigerator. It says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. And Bishop Karen sent a letter to all the ministers and many people in the church. And this was the the scripture she was using. And she's in the middle of the debate that our church, ourselves individually, God has plans for us to have a future with hope. A new beginning, a new start. And as we take some time just to pray and and reflect uh, for a moment, um, ask yourself, why do you keep coming to church. (laughs) Why are you here? I'm guessing all of us have had peaks and valleys with church, and and we love the church, and then we leave the church, and then we come back and try different churches. What brought you here today? Why why church? So let's just take a few moments to pray and to reflect on that. Let us pray. wanted to ask that, open that up to all of you, if you might want to share, why are you willing to come to church? Why are you willing to give church a, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance? <laughs> you know, what are the reasons for being, and what do you value about the church? Anyone want to share? Just a, yeah. Okay. 
you know, just feeling better, feeling your spirits lifted up and just knowing that, that spirit, that presence of God more so. Anyone else? Yes, Claire. I love the sermons and the music. Okay, the sermons and the music, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, Mike? This feels like family here. Okay, yeah, just yeah, the feeling of family, just the oneness, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And I like to describe the church as a, a beautiful, happy, dysfunctional family. <laughs> and uh, there's been many words being thrown out about, you know, who's going to get the name the United Methodist Church. And I really, I'm not sure of the exact wording, but I want to somehow be called, we never have been united. Uh, this sexuality debate, the church became united, the two uh, groups of Methodism, they formed in uh, 1968. The sexuality debate started in 1972. 1972. And it's been various degrees of heat and back and off, but it's been going on forever. And it's kind of time to say, let's move on. Yeah. So I would like to be somehow in our name be called the, the whole and broken Methodist church. <laughs> then we can just kind of relax. <laughs> let's just put it out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Deb? I was raised in a family that um, it was just part of it, and I was a kid. And uh, they used to go, and they had sometimes they put the bread out, other times they put those darn little um, wafers, <laughs> and they fall off in my hand, you know, on the floor I was a kid, and uh, I didn't like them. <laughs> Sister kicking me in the pants and 
you're playing, you're playing music, you're going up there, you're doing it. But over the course of, it's been, it's been a decade, I think. Yeah. It's, we actually hit our, 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 Christmas, our Christmas special, that was 10 years for, for me. Um, coming here has been, has, has been the strongest bond that I've had with anybody aside from my family. And that's where that, that's where this feeling of spirit, the feeling of community and things like that. So that's always been my attribute to, to, to God and things like that has been just the community system that we've got going here. Yeah, it's been the longest thing that I've done and Sage and I have done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, aside from being family and, and, and some different things and things like that, it has grown, it's, it's grown so important. Mm -hmm. That's to me. That would be the definition of, of God. So coming in, go away, things like that. That would always bring me back. Mm -hmm. That, that yeah. feeling that has cultivated here, right? This little church. So. Yeah, yeah. And the church, the church is people, and, and we're we're human. <laughs> we have this beautiful divine part of ourselves, and then we have uh, our humanity that we have to wrestle with all the time. Anyone else wanted to share something there? Yeah, Lee? Come back to make peace with it. Sometimes we're, we've been wounded by the church. Yeah, Stephen. Yeah, I was about to say a similar thing that um, I suffered a lot of religious trauma from upbringing, <laughs> as many of you know. And um, it's been really healing to come and just have like a reframing of all the stuff I was taught as a kid. And, you know, just, just have a different outlook on Christianity other than the fear based religion that I grew up in. Uh, it's been really beautiful and healing to be in a community that has like a different focus. Mm -hmm. um, it's much healthier. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. It, it can be. Hopefully, uh, the church is a place of healing, and, and hopefully, all of us are healers in different ways throughout our, our week, and just offering that compassion and forgiveness and, and listening. And uh, Jennifer and I, for the most part, we we've been. Uh, involved in the church most of our adult lives. And, and I remember when we moved to uh, Meeker, we were newly married, and this would have been over 25 years ago, and we started attending uh, this little church of the Meeker United Methodist Church. And it kind of what many of you have echoed there, that we loved the people. It was just a quaint little building, and, and we just loved the, the feeling we had being present in, in that church with the music and the and the words, and just the prayers and everything. And so we decided after a couple of years that we wanted to become members of the church. And so we went to this meeting on Saturday morning. There were four or five other people there as well to talk about what is the church? What does it mean to be a member of the church? And the minister, uh, he started talking about nothing that y'all were talking about. <laughs> He started talking about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Does that get you excited? <laughs> well, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is really actually a very important, uh, it's scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. Stir. 
And it just says that we look at the world through the lens of, of scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. And it actually can be very helpful. And it, it's looking also, I would say, in the Methodist framework, looking through the world through the, the lens of grace that we find in scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. It's all about that love that we were just talking about. And, and so when he, as he started talking about it, this first time I had ever heard about this, he had a dry erase board, and he, and he drew a big pyramid on this dry erase board. And at the bottom of the pyramid, he wrote Scripture. He says, this is the foundation. This is the foundation of our lives. This is the foundation of who we are and the church. And then he, right above that, he put tradition. And even nowadays, I wouldn't have said it then. I wouldn't even say tradition. I would say plural. There are traditions in the church. There's many traditions. And then above that, he put experiences, our personal experiences, when we just know there's a presence with us that, that loves us and cares for us. It's our, our personal experiences. And we don't have to justify that or validate those experiences that we know to be true. And then on top, he put reason. And, and, and so he's going over all of this, and we're absorbing it. And the whole time with this pyramid, uh, and I didn't say anything, but I was thinking, I don't think it should be a pyramid. <laughs> I think it should be circles. And, and the circles overlap, and one is not more important than the other. And, and they're separate, but they're also joined, and they have some common things. So maybe these overlapping circles. And he, and he was talking on about Scripture and how that's the foundation to everything and all of our lives. And, and then Jennifer raised her hand. And she said, well, what about the Aborigine people? Isn't God present in their life? And they haven't been exposed to Scripture? He goes, well, they're going to go to hell. Yeah, he said this. <laughs> Yeah, it was a Methodist church, the United Methodist Church. And she goes, well, I don't believe that. So anyway. <laughs> so this discussion, to say, it got heated up a little bit more. <laughs> and so he held up his Bible, and he said, well, all I know is you're supposed to be a member of this church. And Jennifer stood up and said, you don't know. <laughs> and she laughed. And she said, Craig, are you coming? <laughs> and my recollection is, I said, let me finish my donut first. <laughs> so we left. So we left the church. And we were just uh, disenchanted, disillusioned, and upset as well. And we left for quite some time there. And I bring this up because our denomination, which I dearly love, is in the middle of a big split. And people are fragmented and going all different directions. Some people are leaving church. Some people are saying, we need to have this a different church. And all this fighting is going on. But even in the middle of that, I still believe firmly in the church. And I'm very anxious. I have some anxiety about what lies ahead in the next year or two. Not so much for our local church here, but what's going to happen with the bigger denomination? But I think the possibilities for new life and a new beginning, that that brokenness of the church can lead us to new life, a more clear understanding 
where we can kind of throw off those shackles and just really embrace that radical love and inclusion of Christ. And so it's exciting. Our bishop sent a letter, and if you'd like a copy of it, I'd be glad to uh, give one to you, but Bishop Karen Olivito. She says, I have wrestled for many years with the question of staying in the church or not. I can't imagine everything that she's been through. She's had threats against her life as the bishop of our church because she's a lesbian. But yet she stays in the church. She says, I wrestled with whether or not to stay in the church or not. She goes, yet the authority of my call, which comes from God, is too strong to be denied by human-made structures. She said, for myself and for other LGBTQ people who are United Methodists, we know, we know with certainty that God's love and grace cannot be confined by rules. And this is the foundation of the church. God's love and God's grace. And we can discover that through Scripture, the traditions of the church, our personal experiences, and reason as well. And no matter how hard the institutionalists try to oppress that movement and that spirit moving in us, we know it's true that God is love. And God embraces all of humanity. And nothing can stop that movement. Not even the split that we're moving to, because that love will persevere and endure. Being in the Christmas season here, eight days after Jesus' birth, his parents, they followed the law and they had him circumcised. And then within two months, they, they took him to the temple for two more religious ceremonies. One of them was called the redemption of the firstborn, and the other one was called purification after childbirth. So Jesus, he was a product of a religious home. Today we would say he was part of a a church family. They go to church. And what does that mean? And so this church, that Jewish culture, shaped him, informed him. And when he went to the temple with his parents and he was less than two months old, uh, they met two people there. Mary Uh, Mary and Joseph met Simeon and Anna. And Simeon was described as a righteous and devout man. And Anna was in the temple day and night just praying. And they were both expecting and hoping. They knew something good was coming their way. And they recognized this little child. And they held him. And they knew that love. They knew that God was love. And they were committed to God's vision, to God's grace of compassion and hope for all of humanity. And J. Ellsworth Kalis, who's a New Testament scholar, he says they are the finest and most admirable people you can ever hope to find. The Simeon and Anna. They're church people. They offer the, the ideal of who we can be with their compassion and their goodness as well. And when Jennifer and I, we left the church, and I know all of you probably from time to time have left the church and come back, or should I stay in the church? Should I go to a different church? When we came back to the church, 
we came back because of people like Simeon and Anna who manifested God's goodness, God's grace, and God's peace. We returned to our little church because they were willing to listen to us when we were fighting and having struggles. They celebrated the birth of our children with us. They grieved with us when we were in deep sorrow and deep pain. They didn't try to fix us. They just held us in that pain and went through it with us. They taught us how to embrace community with all of its beauty and all of its brokenness as well. All of our flaws. But they we held each other together. And many times over the years, we have said over and over and over again, what would we do without the church? How could we go through all these struggles and all these peaks and valleys without that family supporting us and holding us and giving us space to work through the struggles of life? I, and probably you as well, would be the first to admit that the church has a vast number of members of another kind of person. Not quite like Simeon and Anna. And I would say there are times that I'm like them and there are times that I'm not. There are times that we can be so gracious and so loving and, and kind. And then it's almost like the, a switch flips and there's times that I can be intolerant and judgmental all at the same time. The same person. And it takes a different kind of consciousness to hold these things which appear to be opposite and look for a different way to seek solution or, or reconciliation with that. Uh, next weekend I'll be gone. I'm actually going to go to a, a seminar on the shadow. <laughs> The dark parts of our personality that we would rather not recognize or, or understand. I could probably save some time and ask you. You can probably tell me in about five minutes. <laughs> it's just taking time to recognize our beauty, our dignity, as well as the shadow parts of our personality. And this is the church. It's all these things together. And as an adult, the adult Jesus, he, he grows up and he heals a man with a withered hand. And he heals them in the synagogue or in the church. And he does this on the Sabbath. And in doing this, he breaks some of the Sabbath laws. Or the church laws. And then guess what happens? What do the good church people do? When they see him heal a man on the Sabbath in the synagogue. He's just being gracious. He's just being kind. You think they would be excited and glad about this. And the story says they are filled. The good church people are filled with fury and they discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. What are we going to do with this guy? He's breaking the law. And this is exactly where we are today. I mean, exactly. We want to open up our doors. We want to open up our hearts. And we just want to love and care and support one another. And the church police are saying, no, you don't. Not everybody is welcome. Not everyone is accepted. And this is where we are. 
Good church people today want to excommunicate LGBTQ ministers. They want to excommunicate our bishop and say, you are not welcome. They want to excommunicate ministers who bless same-sex unions. And Bishop Karen said in her letter, said the message being conveyed to LGBTQ people by our official policies in the church is that you are not wanted here. You're not wanted. Well, is this the church we want to embrace? The church that we want to continue to become? Or can we die to the intolerance and the judgment and the hatred and embrace that radical, inclusive love of Christ? Every church, every church I've ever been to within the United Methodist Church and outside the Methodist Church, every single church I go to says, oh, we welcome everybody. Everybody's welcomed here, and we love everybody. But it's simply not true. It's not true. And Bishop Karen says it's the difference between being a guest in someone's house and family. And she said when you are a guest, you have certain places in the house that can go. Usually you have one bathroom you can go to, the living room, and maybe the dining room. And there are certain places you cannot go if you are a guest. But she says, but when you are family, the whole house is available to you. And you're truly welcomed. And this division is about family. Not treating someone like a guest, but every place in the church is welcomed. Everyone's welcome to that. That you can be fully ordained regardless of your sexual orientation. That we can do same-sex unions and we're blessing people. I think we're raising the stand for marriage. That marriage is between two people who love each other. What if we had that standard? Marriage is between people who love one another. And they commit their lives to one another. And this is the church. This is the way of Christ. I know I've talked about this many, many times. And we're a reconciling church and saying all are are welcomed here. But we really need to be prayerful and and thinking and, and ready to say, this is happening. And who are we going to be as a church? Because the church isn't just about the people here, but everybody out there is looking. What are they going to do? Actually, I had calls from people in the community saying, what's going on in your church? (laughs) Yeah, what's going on? What are you going to do? Well, we're not responsible for everyone else, but we are responsible for who we love. We choose to love and to embrace one another. Because we're at a critical moment in the life of our denomination and in the life of our local church. In the next few months and years are not going to be easy for our church. We're at a crossroads, a turning point. But we're also at a point where we can be fully liberated. Where we are not scared to love our neighbors. And to love ourselves. Shane Claymore, in speaking about the the church in general, he says, I think we are poised for another great awakening. 
one of my dreams. <laughs> to be a part of a great awakening. Of movement. And I've always asked, what would I do? If I was a minister during the civil rights movement, what would I do? And most Anglo ministers did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because they didn't want to take a risk in love like Christ loves us. They did nothing. And this is our opportunity to say we are going to be a loving church, a welcoming church. We are going to love who Jesus loved. And we're just everyone. Everyone's welcome. Brian McLaurin, and this is kind of funny, he talks a lot about new church and the emerging church. He said, Jesus never told his disciples, hey folks, we are going to start a new centralized institutional religion. (laughs) And we're going to name it after me. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, this baby Jesus, he grows up to be an adult in a church family, and he's, he played the role of a nonviolent, compassionate leader. And he launched his movement with the classic words of movement Follow me, he says. Follow me. Love who I love. Forgive who I forgive. Follow me. I know I've mentioned this before. He never says, worship me. Doesn't mean we can't worship Jesus, but he says, follow me. Imitate my life. Be imitators of Christ. And he used his power to empower the poor, the marginalized, and the disenfranchised. He did great things to inspire his followers to do even greater things than him. He recruited diverse disciples who learned by heart His core vision, his way of life, which was radical love and forgiveness and inclusion. Excuse me there. And in this movement, there were no second class citizens. None. Everyone was treated with respect and dignity. And Jesus said, the time is right. And the time is right for us right now. McLaurin says, in dangerous times like these, who will join God to bring radical healing and change to our damaged world as well as our damaged, beloved church? Because we need this movement. Church is supposed to be a movement. And when there's change, we get scared, we get nervous. We need this movement not someday, but right now. We need it. And make no mistake that this movement is not a political movement of the right. And it's not a political movement of the left. It's the third way. The way of Christ. The way of compassion. The way of love. The way of the cross. And this movement of God is about living our lives with integrity. In love. In compassion. Through Christ. And we need to be part of repairing what is broken rather than just jumping ship. And in Jeremiah, God says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare and not for harm, 
to give you a future with hope. And while I have anxiety about what will happen to our denomination, I have great hope that in that brokenness, we will find resurrection and new life. And we can be better. We can be more loving, more gracious, and more welcoming. Amen.